If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, my name's Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Podcast. This week we've got all the details from the new Dell XPS laptops that have just been announced, including Pocket Associate Editor Dan Grabham's thoughts on why Dell has brought back its 17-inch model from 2011. I talked to producer, remixer and singer-songwriter Estelle Rubio on some of the technology tricks music producers are using to make their music sound better. And Pocketlint editor Chris Hall joins us to give us his verdict on an app called Crisp AI that promises to remove all background noise when you're on that all-important Zoom conference or phone call. But first, Dan's here to talk big laptops. So, what's the news? So um, Dad have announced two new laptops this week. Well, they've announced more, but the two two key new laptops, really. Um, the Dell XPS 15, which is an update. But um, interestingly, they've announced the XPS 17 as well, um, which is basically um, a laptop they haven't updated for 10 years. They had, right. one, um, <laughs> they had one in, in, in 2010 and 2011, which they, they updated a couple of times, an XPS 17. But then they basically left the large screen laptop market behind, um, certainly in this in this segment. Um, and so it's really interesting they brought it back. And so why now? I guess part of it is that we've we, we we're seeing much smaller bezels on these kinds of devices. So actually, I mean the footprint of this seventeen inch laptop is not much different from many fifteen uh, inch laptops. In fact, Dell say that um, it's 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 the same size the same size or smaller than about fifty percent of fifteen um, inch laptops on the market. So I, I guess there's that aspect to it as well that actually it's not quite as cumbersome as as they previously once were. I mean the the old XPS 17 was quite a chunky device. Um, and I guess we've also seen with Apple's MacBook Pro 16-inch uh, that there's there's clearly a, 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 some demand for larger screens. Um, and possibly that is to do with the fact that um, that people are using these without sort of um, desk setups, so without keyboards and monitors and that kind of thing, just taking them around very, you know, to meetings or, or to see clients and actually just using the, the, the screen they've got with the device. That isn't necessarily obviously the, the most ergonomic way to use them, but obviously um, it's a it's an interesting interesting sort of use case that maybe we haven't seen for a while. And do you think that's? I mean, do you think the current situation is is kind of forcing you to use your laptop around the house? You know, uh, most people don't have a a dedicated office space within their home. Uh, you know, a bump, a, a jumping from maybe the lounge, you know, the sofa, the dining room table, the kitchen table, to perhaps even with sunnier climbs on their way to, you know, to the patio, etc. And therefore, that sort of sense of having an office set up with a big monitor and a keyboard and mouse and laptop stand and stuff just isn't feasible for most people. And therefore, yeah. you you'll start to see this switch towards bigger displays. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's definitely true because um, we've also we're also seeing that um, uh, you know people are are more flexibly working as well. So even if they 
even if they were in an office environment, that they they would probably be working part of the day in a meeting room or um, elsewhere, but certainly around the home. Yes, we're definitely seeing that. And I think ob- obviously the, the the sort of thought process behind this laptop will, would have pre you know predated this this current situation by quite some time. But um, we're we're definitely seeing a move to that, like you say, that um, people are just working in different situations. The Surface, like Microsoft Surface, certainly for Windows and iPads and stuff, those screen sizes aren't that big. They're still kind of sub 12, 13 inches, aren't they, really? And and it's that sense of if you want a laptop, then it needs to do lots of things. It needs to be a content creator. And it's perhaps the same way that we saw this with camera, you know, camera phones wiped out the entire baseline element of 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 all the cheap camera compact cameras and so to fight that cameras themselves had to get considerably more advanced and you know punchier and more professional in their in their capabilities uh, and maybe that's what we're seeing here with with the laptops as well then yeah definitely i think so um and you know the, these devices are sort of do anything devices now and and certainly um in terms of in terms of what the, the sort of computing manufacturers are trying to do, they're definitely trying to appeal more to that creator's market, the people that would have uh, previously had to buy extremely expensive desktops um, now can do a lot of the stuff they would have done before on, um, you know, premium still, obviously, but premium laptops. Um, and so uh, a lot of those people demand bigger screen sizes. And, and so it's, a, it's, a, it's that kind of compromise be, between being able to, um, you know, have this this the uh, this do anything machine, but also being able to do that with with the screen real estate that you need that you can't get from a thirteen inch, for example. And so, is this a trend? Is Dell alone on this one, or is this a trend that we're seeing further? You know, further from other manufacturers. It, it's definitely a trend we've seen elsewhere. Um, I, I we we certainly didn't expect this this one to launch, but um, certainly we've seen we've seen it elsewhere with with sort of create creator orientated devices. Um, you know, Acer's Concept D range, for example, that that the name that creators. That's definitely sort of the way things are moving with bigger screens and um, you know and more capable devices. Obviously, um, you know these 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 laptops are the premium end. They've got you know the latest gen um, Intel Core chips and they've got um, latest gen um, Nvidia hardware as well in, inside. So they're obviously orientated towards um, prosumers and professional users. But yeah, certainly, it's, certainly, it's the kind of trend we're, we're, we're experiencing at the moment. The interesting thing, I think, one of the interesting things I think as well, is the launch window of these devices. You know, we we were probably going to see these at Computex, which was supposed to take place next month. But um, I think it's interesting that a lot of these companies are actually just releasing their devices last month, this month, whenever they whenever they are ready, um, to sort of take advantage of of the fact people are increasingly working from home at the moment. And that was the final question is, is I presume with a bigger, a bigger device comes a bigger cost. Uh, do we have an idea of how much these are going to cost and when they're going to be available to buy? Well, we've only got a dollar price on the XPS 17. So it's $1,499. Um, no UK prices yet. XPS 15 is a, is a little more palatable at $1,299. But, um, uh, you know, certainly they're, they're at the premium end. But, you know, as we've seen with... Um, with the MacBook Pro, um, those prices do can creep up if you if you make uh, you start ticking all the boxes. Yeah, absolutely. If you put <laughs> things in, and um, uh, you know, but but they're you know they're competitively priced compared to what else is on the market, especially the Surface Book that we we saw launched a couple of weeks ago as well. 
Still to come, Chris gives us his verdict on Crisp, an AI noise cancelling app he's been using to cut out some of the background noise in his life. There is a browser plugin, so if you're using Chrome and using a piece of software that runs in Chrome, like Google Meets or Zencaster or whatever, then you can use that on there. Estelle Rubio is a producer, remixer and singer-songwriter. Her style spans electronic genres such as house, Latin and chill out with releases on labels like Atlantic Jacks, Looper, Curve and Lounge Masters. She's worked with Basement Jacks, plays regularly at clubs in Ibiza during the summer and gives talks on using Apple's Logic Music software. So it only seemed apt to talk to her about tricks music creators are using to make their music sound better as well as talk to her about what's in store for the future of music making in general. I started by asking Estelle to tell us some of the big tricks used today. Well, I think um, one of the most prevalent is double tracking, which is how essentially this started, which is recording one vocal and then recording a different vocal um, over the top. And obviously this has been being done since the 1960s. Um, Abbey Road Studios, artists like Dusty Springfield, the Beatles used it. But I think in modern times, the technology has enabled us to do more than double tracking. And I think now you will have artists, especially with kind of the backing vocal to create a really kind of big stereo range, sometimes using up to 100 tracks of vocals to give that kind of in-depth chorus warm feel um, to music so I think that's something that generally the listener probably isn't aware of. A cheeky question I suppose do you use any of these yourself in the music that you produce? Absolutely absolutely the thing is I think is once one person starts doing it then everybody kind of starts doing it and it becomes a kind of trend a kind of oral trend that everybody kind of starts to then follow so yes I mean even with a, a lead vocal I would normally do at least a double track um, some people would do kind of up to five, even on a lead vocal. And like I said, backing vocals from 50 <laughs> to 100 is not unknown. Not every single time, but sometimes the music warrants it. So, And and so what other tricks, apart from double tracking to make the singer sound more powerful, what, what other tricks do you kind of use to, to enhance the music? I think one of the most famous ones, which has kind of gone beyond a trick and has almost become a kind of artistic effect is probably auto-tuning. Um, so most people who record their vocals would actually tune the vocal after they've recorded it. So it's in perfect pitch. And I think when you're working with synthesized instruments, they're all such in such perfect pitch. It's not like a guitar that's slightly out of tune. So um, pitching the vocals kind of just makes everything harmonically really sit well um, in a mix. So that's pretty much an industry standard, I would say now, to use auto-tuning. Now, sometimes you, you hear auto-tuning and it's that sort of, you think, oh, is that is it because the person can't sing? Yeah. <laughs> is it because they've got a little bit old and their voice has gone croaky? Do you, do you think yeah, there's an over-reliance I mean, I... upon that? I think it's funny how you even you've recognized it and most people recognize it now because it's kind of an artistic thing. I actually did do um, <laughs> a TV show on the BBC once. Um, actually, we tested this with someone who couldn't sing. Um, it is possible, but actually it enhances somebody who can sing's voice. It's actually more and more difficult because once you start making kind of huge differences, then you start to get those kind of warped effects. So I would say it's more an enhancing tool rather than something that can take a completely tone deaf person and make them sound like, um, you know, Beyonce. 
And so if uh, budding musicians out there, even professional musicians out there listening to this podcast, what kind of software do you use to, to be able to allow you to do these things? Well, I use a program on my Mac called Logic Pro um, version 10. Um, I've always used that, but um, there are other programs that um, people use. And a lot of people will use even GarageBand if they're kind of starting out, you know, budding musicians. And um, yeah, I use those. Obviously, AutoTune itself is the name of a particular plugin that people would use, but you have other kind of tuning plugins as well. And so, and do you just use that on a Mac? Do you use that on a PC? Use that on a Mac, yeah. Yep, um, GarageBand, I think, comes free with a Mac as well. So that's <laughs> quite good for those budding songwriters. Everyone's got to start somewhere, I guess. And and how do you find, uh, how's all this, has it made your life easier as a music producer over the years? Or has all this advent of technology just made it harder because A, there are more options or B, people want more things? Or, you know, what's what's the workflow like from you from today to sort of when you started doing this? It's that's an interesting question I think it makes it easier to be able to do things yourself in a very self-contained way Um, obviously a lot of these things if you're recording extra layers of vocals that's going to take more time essentially but most vocalists would do a few different takes when they're recording anyway I suppose Um, so it it, does it make it easier it makes it easier in like I said in terms of access but there is a lot of work that goes into being a music producer that probably the listener isn't aware of, like a lot of kind of editing and fine tuning and like we discussed, the auto tuning, um, layering of things. And obviously that's more to mix. So um, it's quite an in-depth process, I think. So it's kind of interesting to get to talk about it today a little bit more. Are there things that were possible today with that technology that you're doing that's opened up your creativity than, than you wouldn't have been able to do, say, five years ago? Yeah, hugely. I mean, there's huge developments all the time. I think like now we're recording through the microphone in my MacBook Pro, whereas five years ago, I don't think you'd have had a good enough quality. So, you know, that's something that I now use in my daily life or when I get, you know, a quick idea that I want to get down. Um, Also, the programs themselves just run so much faster. So that's kind of saving you a lot of loading time when you're loading all of these, you know, like we were discussing the plugins like AutoTune, all of these plugins use a lot of the processing power. So in terms of kind of speed, things have really sped up. And I think anything that speeds up your creative flow is essentially useful to any artist or producer. And do you think at some points you can go that all that capability of, of this enhanced speed and, the, you know, new microphones and, and sometimes the ability to have 100 tracks, 200 tracks in a, in, a, yeah. in a song, is that kind of a bit too much? I remember I used to be a designer on a newspaper and, and they kind of wouldn't really allow anybody apart from the designers to use colour in sort of on fonts and things because it was equivalent of sort of opening a pack of Smarties and throwing it over the page. You know, just people would be like, oh, this is exciting. Let's lose every color and every font possible. Do you, <laughs> do you get that same temptation with the with all the new technology that's coming? Yeah, but for me, that's the exciting part of it is, you know, when you've got kind of loads of new sounds to experiment with, and loads of effects that you can add to things. And I really think now the technology really... Um, changes the music scene itself you know so I think you know the prevalence now of dance music for example in the charts is because a lot of this technology is available to people and also they have a lot of fun just kind of playing with it and experimenting you know filtering sounds and kind of creating a a new kind of musical movement in a sense so they're very kind of interlinked in that sense the tech and the music 
and what's the sort of most favorite project you've worked on and 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 why i suppose oh that's such a difficult question i work on really varied projects so everything from kind of music for tv documentaries or um yoga and meditation music i do enjoy that because sometimes you can have a track that's about 30 minutes long (laughs) and you can kind of go off on one but then i love also working within dance music where it's much more formulaic and structured and as as you work as a music producer you can kind of um work more to it within a formula i've also enjoyed working with um some incredible people who i've learned a lot from um particularly the basement jacks who are very well known in the uk um and well european music scene um so yeah it's really interesting seeing how other producers work as well and that kind of really can affect your kind of workflow where suddenly you go ah oh that's interesting never thought of doing it like that so yeah you're always learning <laughs> And do you find that when you work with someone like Basement Jacks, it's their ideas and you're trying to understand how they want it to appear? Or do you get the ability to say, no, I think actually you should do this or this sounds really cool. Or I've been working with this bit of new kit or software or, or what have you and go from there. Um, they've always given me a lot of flexibility to kind of come up with my own ideas. And then they would kind of be the kind of, you know, like you were talking, working newspaper, like the kind of editors who then oversee the the kind of near to final product and give you kind of feedback and maybe show you, you know, then some of the tips and tricks that um, they use. I don't want to give away anyone else's secrets. (laughs) And and how do you feel, you know, where do you see this is going in the future? As you said, the things have changed quite drastically over the years with the advent of new technology, the mic you're talking on right now, all that kind of stuff. Where where do you see it going in the next five years or or where would you like it to go in the next five years? I, for me personally, I think I'm seeing a lot more live music intertwined with electronic music at the moment and recorded music. I'd like to see some kind of performance aspects I suppose um you know because we've got all of these um I mean I love people like Imogen Heat for example who uses these incredible kind of midi triggering gloves um on stage and I'd really like to see you know a little bit more development in that area so we can kind of use the Mac as a I don't know on stage in a really creative kind of way triggering all of these sounds and effects so with all this you know with the technology and and the software and as you say you know a lot of it's very accessible how how easy do you think it would be for someone to 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 do your job today you know to come in fresh if they've got the ideas and and ultimately steal your job i suppose (laughs) yeah i think in this industry people get usurped certainly yeah i think you know for the youth of today who most people have a laptop um you know for whatever they're doing, um, can access the music software and can really start some creative, innovative ideas. Um, yeah, I think I think there's kind of huge potential and I'm kind of always really excited to hear what people are doing. You have to really keep on your toes in this industry, kind of hear what people are doing. I think um, another, we were talking about kind of evolutions and where things are going. I think one of them as well is spatial audio, which is um, kind of like surround sound, but coming from two speakers, which is, I think, going to really affect the way people are mixing music at the moment in terms of using, you know, that huge, wider than 180 stereo field um, to kind of mix in. So, you know, there's so many new and exciting things. And I think um, for the generation that kind of grow up with that, it's going to be really exciting what they, you know, develop next. And and does that make your job harder if you've got to design for, you know, design a track to be played on, on an iPhone or a Samsung Galaxy or a laptop or a TV or a, you know, a 360 like Sony's um, 
you know, audio reality kind of stuff, which is now being employed on other speakers like the Amazon Echo Sub and, and things like that. Does Do you have to be aware of all that? Or do you just say, I'm just going to make it sound like this and however you listen to it, it's up to you? No, I think you do have to be aware because I think a lot more people are now listening to music in that way and consuming it. And obviously the film market, um, most things are recorded and mixed in that way. So um, if you ever wanted to cross over into that, I think it's really important to follow the technological advancements. And I think one of the exciting things about being a music producer is it enables you to kind of be moving with the times and kind of keeping in you know touch with all the new innovations as they come out because they have such a profound effect on you know, the tools that you're using, which then affect the music you make. So, yeah, I think it's a really exciting time um, for people who are making tech. And I think now I've got a little idea to do um, a project of recording a whole album while traveling in hotel rooms, which is something I'm quite excited about, which you would never have been able to do, certainly not with just a laptop, um, 10 years ago. So, yeah, I think it's opening up the creative kind of floodgates, let's say. Background noise is the bane of audio. Whether you're calling a friend, recording a podcast, or just trying to hold a Zoom call with your work colleagues while the kids are screaming in the background, if it's in the wrong place at the wrong time, it doesn't help anybody. With a lot more of us doing a lot more video conferencing and perhaps talking over the internet than we would have normally done so, there is certainly interest in how to make those calls better. And it's often the sound that's the most important part of the package. Pocalint editor Chris Hall has been using an app called Crisp AI that promises to solve this. So, Chris, tell us more. All right. Well, just to be totally clear, I have switched off the software. So at the moment, what you're listening to is me as you would any other time, you know, through my mic, through my computer, down the Internet and all the rest of it. Now, what Crisp AI does is it provides you with an app that you can install on your computer. And there's also a version for uh, for the iPhone as well, but I haven't tested that version yet. And once you've installed the app, it basically creates a layer between your microphone and what people hear at the other end of the line. So what it will do is it will then run using AI to filter out background noise that you don't want to hear down the line, making sure that your voice just comes through nice and clear. Okay. Okay. And so I, I've run several tests on this and I've done some amazing things with this. And and it, it it is a very powerful piece of software. And I thought the best way to demonstrate this would probably be to uh, just do a live example. You know, they always say with technology and stuff, you should never do live. Never do demos. live demos. Never do live <laughs> demos. That's exactly what we're going to do. Okay. So you've been listening to me and, and all of the background noise will have been coming through. And fortunately, I'm in a quiet place. There's no planes flying over. There's no cars. Typically, the kids aren't screaming in the garden. The dog has stopped barking. That's where the live demo is going wrong. So instead, I'm just going to start knocking on my desk. And I'm sure you'll be able to hear that. Yeah, okay, I can hear so, that. So now you can hear me knocking on the desk. Okay, I'm going to keep knocking on my desk. And I'm going to turn the software on. And you can see what the difference is going to be. Okay, you stop knocking. Software. The software is now on. I'm still knocking on the desk. My knuckles no, are not. You've, you've stopped knocking. <laughs> okay. What you might be able to hear is that my voice doesn't sound quite as natural as it did before because it's fighting against the background noise to filter out, you know, the noises that you don't want and just let the sure. voice come through. Okay, my knuckles really hurt now. There you go. I'm still knocking on the desk. Hello, you're still knocking, ladies right. and gentlemen. Okay, I'm just going to say But that, that really... Promise. I mean, that really is 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 how good it is. Um, I've sat here doing all sorts of things. You can sit here and you can drink a cup of tea. When you put the cup down, nobody else can hear you putting the cup down. 
those sorts of things mean that you can be on a large conference call or any any type of call and you can have things going on in the background that normally you'd have to be careful about avoiding. And how does it and how does it work with like music? Because obviously knocking that's quite a repetitive like sort of sound. Is like music, can you listen to music just at the same time and yeah, like just, you, you if someone else do. starts talking. How does that? How does it work to determine you, whether it's your voice or someone else's voice? Well, that's that's uh, that's one of the things that I, I I don't know so well. I mean, normally in these situations, you don't have somebody sitting in exactly the same position as you. But you know, sounds coming through the walls, you know, people running up and down the stairs, all of those sorts of noises, they just don't appear at all. And all you would get is that slight clipping. Of, of some of the highs and lows that might make you sound slightly artificial if it's really bad and you can you can have some really extreme things going on so someone can slam your door and the people on the other side of the call wouldn't hear that what's interesting about it is that it will also run that same operation in reverse so if you were sitting in a noisy room and i couldn't hear you over the screaming of your kids and the barking of your dog mm-hmm. i can then turn on some filtering so that i don't hear background noise from your end of the call that doesn't benefit okay. you, but it would certainly benefit me. So in some situations, this is a two-way noise cancelling um, process, effectively. And so how much does this cost? Is it free? Is, it, is there a price to it? Well, there are, as I said, there's various different forms of it. There is the desktop app that you can use, browser plugin. So if you're using Chrome and using a piece of software that runs in Chrome, like Google Meets or Zencaster or whatever, then you can use that on there. The desktop app will work on lots and lots of applications that you would use. And it includes all of the big sort of conference calling stuff. Um, so Zoom is particularly effective for and very popular at the moment. It'll work with Skype. It'll work with, with all sorts of things, basically. As for the price, you actually get 120 minutes per week that are free. So you have to sign up for an account to use it, but then you get those free. Then there is a pro level that is unlimited. And the unlimited level um, will obviously be for those people who want to make lots and lots of calls, and that will cost you about $5 a month. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip pip. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.